0: You didn't see me last week because I was gone. I was at a men's retreat in the northeast part of our country, actually called the Northeast Men's Retreat. A couple hundred guys. I was very insecure about speaking to these men, mainly because uh, you know they speak like guys from the Godfather or good fellas. Um, seriously, there's a Joe Pesci look-alike and sound-alike. At this retreat, his name was Vinny Mancini. And uh, yeah, if you want to, if you want to hear what he sounds like, I actually recorded him. I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm gonna <laughs> just play it for you here. I was, I did, I got my phone out just a little bit too late to catch much of what he said, but I did get a little bit, and I thought you would love to hear it just now in my brain I thought that so of course I've got it not it's not it's not really uh there it is okay let's see let's see if this works <laughs> I'm gonna try this I have no idea okay did you get that is there anybody back there on the soundboard that can turn it up? That's okay. Don't worry about it. That's okay. I guess not. Okay. Um, but I was really insecure about this because uh, in addition to all that, there are guys that uh, are kind of around my age, really. I mean, there were young guys there, some, but most of the guys are probably between, you know, f- 35, 40, maybe 40 and 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 maybe 70, somewhere in there. And so I'm not used to that crowd. So I I appreciate it if you prayed for me. I even posted on Facebook, please pray for me because uh, I'm insecure. And uh, it went much, much better than I feared. So that's good news. But I hear that Jesse did a fine job while I was gone talking about hopiness. He said the why is hope in Jesus, and the what is loving each other, which I thought sounded great to me. And I really liked his transparency during the sermon, too, so I urge you to listen to that if, uh, if you haven't listened to it yet. But I wanted to start out by saying thank you for praying for me. I really needed your prayers, and I think that there's an appropriate neediness for people who love Jesus. Um, we're gonna be talking about spiritual neediness tonight versus spiritual fatalism. And believe it or not, those, even though those both sound negative, actually, spiritual neediness is a good thing. A friend of mine, when I was back in college, used to respond to people who would disparage him because he was a Christian They would say Jesus for you it's just a crutch he's just a crutch for you you just can't make normal life regular life without Jesus so you just need him as a crutch and Bruce would respond well okay Jesus may be a crutch but at least he's keeping me from falling on my face which I thought was a great response But the older I've gotten as a Christian, the more I think that Bruce didn't go far enough. I would say that I don't need a crutch. I need a whole emergency transport system to live my life sometimes. I'm that needy. And the Apostle Peter begins to talk about this need in our passage for tonight, So we're going to go to chapter 2. We finally made it there of the first letter of the Apostle Peter. And in the NIV, it goes something like this. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So, in some ways, Peter is talking about the same kind of things that Jesse pointed out last week in that he's talking about the vertical relationship between us and God, crave that pure spiritual milk like newborn babies, but then he's also talking about what we should not do when it comes to our brothers and sisters who are in the body of Christ, the horizontal relationships. Different scholars have translated this different ways, and so what I want you to do now, just to give you an idea, I'm going to read one more translation that kind of typifies this other way of looking at this verse, but I want you to read along up there to notice the differences, okay? So the New English translation says this, So get rid of all evil and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, and yearn like newborn infants for pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up to salvation If you have experienced the Lord's kindness. If you've experienced the Lord's kindness. Now just so you know, Peter's referring to his psalm, Peter's favorite psalm, I'm pretty sure, Psalm 34, where he talks about tasting and seeing that the Lord is good in that psalm. The word good here is also the word that can be used for kindness except when you put it in the context of eating something. If you put it in the context of eating something or drinking something like milk then it becomes the word good. Taste that the Lord is good now that you have tasted that the Lord is good so crave this pure spiritual milk now that you have Tasted that the Lord is good. Now that you've experienced this overwhelming kindness that God has for you. You know, the longer I'm married, the more I realize the importance of kindness in a relationship. It is immense when my wife is kind with me after I've messed up, as opposed to being cruel. Short-tempered, apathetic, icy, kindness makes all the difference in the world. So here's a little tip. If you're looking for somebody to marry, find out how kind that person is, especially the people who cannot do anything for him or for her. Because if they're not kind to those people, when you've messed up, he or she will not be kind to you. That's off my notes, we're gonna get back on them right now. So the Christian life is kinda weird and upside down. How strange it is that God wants me to be weak, like, like a baby. Like a baby who can do nothing but just crave his or her mother's milk. You can't do much except turn your head to find where the milk comes from. And God insists, it appears, that mature Sons and daughters continue to act like newborn infants, which is not what we do as humans. As humans, we raise our children so they can feed themselves, at least by the time they're 18. And go off on their own, so we don't have to drive them around, or spoon feed them, or dress them in the morning. We raise our kids to be independent, right? But in relation to God, it's different. He wants us always to be dependent, like little newborn babies are dependent upon their mother. And this kind of strips my gears. It blows my mind. Now, we at come of the Earth, we struggle, we strive, we, we aim to be a church that recognizes this need of Christ on a regular basis. One of the things that people say to me over and over and over again over the last 13 years, you guys seem so real. That's what they say. And I don't think we're doing this to try and win more people to come It's just honestly realizing that we are a bunch of people who really don't know much about living the Christian life, that we're church people who don't know how to get church off the ground. Thirteen years and eight months ago, Deva Yoder sat in our living room, along with Mary and I and a bunch of other young people, And they came up with that line in Scum's mission statement that reads, We strive to be a church that recognizes its need for a Savior. We strive to be a church that craves spiritual milk. Why would they come up with something like that? I think sadly, because when they looked at the landscape of the American church, they saw churches that were way too self-sufficient. That were independent almost. Why don't we crave spiritual milk? I think there's two reasons, and they are at opposite ends of the spectrum. One is pride, spiritual pride, and one is despair, spiritual despair. Why don't we see ourselves as totally helpless, needing God for every single morsel of food and every breath we take? Why? Because either we're in spiritual pride or we are in spiritual despair. When I came to Christ at around 18 or 19 years old, honestly, I figured that I was God's gift to the American church. I kid you not, I was young, I was strong, I was energetic, I was intelligent. I had more gifts than I knew what to do with. I had no idea what I would do for a living because I had so many options in front of me. I could bring the teaching, I could lead the worship, I could do the service projects, I could marshal the people, I figured I could do it all now the problem with that kind of thinking like i had when i was that old was that when when <laughs> when you figure you're just a tiny sinner all you need is a tiny savior and when you're a really dinky little Itsy bitsy sinner. You don't need a savior at all. You can handle it all on your own. We read the scriptures. We go to church. We listen to sermons. We read the books. And we know somehow, intellectually, that we need a Savior. But in our hearts, really, honestly, we're pretty good without Jesus. And it's like without even trying, we turn ourselves into these little Pharisees, these holier-than-thou types, the kinds of Christians that turned us away from the church when we were younger. And so, one of the reasons we don't crave the spiritual milk is because of pride. Here and simple. We at Scum here, we've got the real inside track on what the Lord is doing. We're down here in the city. We're with the homeless people, or with the people who don't have a lot. We are the cool ones who don't wear Dockers and polo shirts to church. You can come as you are. That kind of thinking puts us far, far away from Christ without even knowing it. He's talking about this vertical relationship in this passage. It's necessary to be needy so that you can grow in your spiritual relationship toward this salvation that God has for you. If you're not in touch with your neediness, you're in trouble. Now, the other extreme that keeps us from needing Jesus is spiritual despair. And I'll use another word for this. We'll call it spiritual fatalism. I'm indebted to John Piper for these insights. And I quote, what I would call spiritual fatalism, the belief or feeling that you are stuck with the way you are. This is all I will ever experience of God. The level of spiritual intensity I now have is all I can have. Others may have strong desires after God. They may have deep experiences of personal pleasure in God. But I'll never have those because, well, just because, I'm I'm not like that. That's not me. Spiritual fatalism is tragic in the church. It leaves people stuck. It takes away their hopes and their dreams of growth. It squashes the excitement of living by faith in Jesus on a day-to-day basis, which is growth. It's like saying to a gawky little 13-year-old boy, whose arms and legs are too long for his body, whose feet are full-grown even though he's not, who can't seem to coordinate chewing gum and walking at the same time without tripping. It's like saying to that little boy, you're always going to be this way. It's never going to change. You won't get better. You won't be like the others that you see playing sports or learning music, dancing. Only spiritual fatalism is a whole lot worse. It's a whole lot worse. Because bigger things are at stake than just your ability to do sports or dance. Or look good in a pair of jeans. There are dozens and dozens of people I've met at Scum of the Earth over these last 13 years who are convinced they will never, ever experience the kind of relationship with God that they hear talked about from up front every Sunday. That's just the way I am. And they just settle in. And it's like an adolescent who stops growing and lives with pimples until he's 80. I think one of the uh, best non-fatalistic lines I've ever read comes from a book that actually was assigned to me in seminary, St. Augustine's Confessions or St. Augustine if you're raised Catholic and this is what he said I kind of translated it so that it's more in modern English O love that ever burns and is never extinguished Oh, agape love, my God, light me on fire. You command the exercise of self-restraint in sexual matters. Grant what you command and command what you will. Grant what you command and command what you will. So Augustine leaves his life as a non-Christian, which was very hedonistic. He had sex a lot. And now he's a single man and he's required to live this celibate lifestyle. And he's going, I don't have the desire, God. I don't have it. So please light the fire in me, for passion for you, give me zeal to fulfill this requirement, because I don't have it. Grant what you command, and command what you will. How many of us have actually prayed a prayer like that? Jesus, I just don't really want to read. The Bible. I know it's your word. Which is like spiritual milk for me. But I don't really want it. So could you please put in me a desire to want your word? Because I don't have it. Lord, I really don't want to be part of any church. The church is full of hypocrites. And they hurt my family when I was young and we were in really difficult circumstances. If you want me to be part of your church, then would you please put in me a desire to be part of your church? Because I know I'm going to get fed there Some of that pure spiritual milk that I'm supposed to crave that I don't want is going to come through that avenue. So please help me to want to be part of your people. Because I'd rather not. I have plenty of other stuff to do on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night. Dr. Scott Peck is the author of the best-selling book, The Road Less Traveled. Maybe you've read it. He's a psychiatrist, and he works with mentally ill people, people who don't have a grip on reality, people who don't want the things that they're supposed to want or do the things they're supposed to do to live in society. He says that he's discovered in his practice an almost universal apathy, a lack of interest, no desire to ask questions, no desire to seek the new and to grow. There's, in his words, no taste for mystery. He said that if he discovers he can cultivate a desire in the patient, a willingness to want to search and to grow, That there's hope for that patient. But if not, he sees very little hope in that patient ever getting well. That's an interesting observation. I could say the same thing about the church. I could say the same thing about your relationship with God. Apparently, there must be a desire for you on your part, to grow if you're to have any kind of continual, lasting, growing relationship that expresses your salvation in Jesus Christ. We need to grow up in Christ. But if not, we'll just be a bunch of Babies with whiskers, I guess. Even the women. You've met those kind of people who call themselves Christians. I hope that's one of the reasons you're here at Scum of the Earth. So how do you do this? How do you whip up a desire for spiritual milk in people who have no desire? Well, I know what we do as a family when we've got a loved one who is sick in the hospital and won't eat. We're sneaky about it. I know what I do when uh, my kids were little and didn't want to eat the vegetables that were good for them. I would bribe them. Okay, if you eat three scoops of this cream spinach, you can have this ice cream. Sometimes I would take the world peas and I would pour honey on it and then stick it in their mouths. I would basically force feed them. I would do anything I could do to try and get the proper nourishment inside of them. And sometimes I think, you know, it's okay to do that with your brothers and sisters in Christ who are not craving anything, who are in spiritual despair, who are fatalists and say, it's never going to happen for me. Never going to get there. When (laughs) I was in college, my dad would call me sneaky in my evangelism because my way of evangelizing, my way of spreading the good news about Christ was not really to, you know, give people literature or to make them read a book. I would find the coolest Christ-centered rock band that I knew of, and I would buy an LP or a cassette tape because we didn't have CDs back then or MP3 downloads, and I would, I would buy for them. And I'm thinking, okay, well this hopefully will somehow get in between the cracks and, and they'll um, maybe develop a spiritual hunger. Maybe they'll taste and they'll see how good Jesus is. Something I've done lately, because it's been so wonderful for me, is I have purchased several copies of The Chronicles of Narnia on CD, the audiobooks, read by amazing British actors like Patrick Stewart, you know, John Luke Picard, Professor X, that guy, right? He does one, Kenneth Branagh, one of the greatest Shakespearean actors that I'm, I know of, who's brought a lot of Shakespeare to film, Lynn Redgrave, Derek Jacoby, people like that, and I have you know, just said, here, listen to these. Because this is what I know. Every single thought that C.S. Lewis ever had about God is in the Chronicles of Narnia, except at a kid's level, and very interesting because he puts it in story form. What am I doing? I'm being sneaky. I'm kind of force-feeding taste and see that the Lord is good I mean if you're going through a hard time and you can't read the Bible how about reading a book by somebody you like who's a Christian have your devotions out of pure scum Max Lucado Margaret Feinberg I don't care. Here's the truth. Remember Les spoke a few weeks ago, Les Avery, my 80-year-old friend. Do you know that he has a hard time reading the Bible for his devotions? But he does devotions every morning. And that's what he does. He reads Christian books that interest him. And it wets his appetite and his desire for the great things of God. Listen to... Christian music, whether it's praise music or whether it's Christian artists who are in the mainstream. I think about bands like Mumford & Sons, which are so wonderful for me, or Over the Rhine. Bands that people normally don't think are, are, are Christian bands. Even our own community has produced several of those, right? Whether it's uh, Nathan and Stephen, Hearts of Palm, Navy, what's that? Faking the dream, almost not quite on faking the dream, since it's a cover band. <laughs> But you catch a vibe when you go to their shows. They whet your appetite. <laughs> Seriously, I would go to this. I would go to these Nathan and Stephen shows, and I'm thinking, and people, the whole crowd is singing along. It's like a church worship service. I'm going, like, why doesn't this happen at Scum? It's amazing. I remember, one guy used to. Cry every time you he heard Five in Frenzy. Pull over to the side of the road. Have to just start weeping. Didn't know what was going on, but the Holy Spirit was doing something, wetting his appetite, craving uh, pure, pure spiritual milk. It was beginning, and he came to Christ. Here it's come to the earth. True story. So there is spiritual fatalism that leads to despair is one reason we don't crave the pure spiritual milk. There's spiritual pride, which believes, makes us believe we don't need it. That stops us from craving the pure spiritual milk. That's the vertical relationship he's talking about. And then there's the horizontal. He's saying, well, I want you to crave the pure spiritual milk that comes from above, that comes from God. I want you to put off some things. I want you to take off some things. Like malice. Malice, which is ill will towards somebody. I want you to take it off like you would take off a dirty jacket. I want you to lay it aside, is what Peter's saying here. I want you to take the pure spiritual milk and I want you to take off this junk and I want you to throw it away. It shouldn't be anywhere near you because it's going to affect your relationships with the rest of the body. You're not going to want to go to church if you don't put these things away. And if the community doesn't put these things away, nobody wants to be in church. So if you've got ill will towards somebody, get rid of it. Forgive that person. Malice is desire to inflict harm or injury. It's 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 a hostility towards somebody else. Then there's deceit. It's pretty obvious what deceit is. It's lying. White lies is what well was other kinds of lies. We shouldn't be lying to one another. If people lie to you in church, why would you want to go back there? Go someplace where they're straight with you. So put it off. Set it down. In a pile of dirty clothes never to be worn again. You know, better not to say anything at all really, than to lie. If you've lied to somebody here at Scum of the Earth, I'm begging you. I'm begging you to go tell them the truth. We're going to have communion here in a little bit. And um, if you don't get that straightened out, maybe uh, you shouldn't. Take communion. Until you get that straightened out. All these things. Hypocrisy, which is, you know, it's pretending. It's pretending. Pretending you are something that you're not. Stop that. Stop it. Be who you are. It's okay to be needy. That's what I'm trying to say. It's okay to be needy. Envy, which is hoping somebody else is going to have a downfall or that you're going to be raised up to their level. Confess that as sin. We'll have some folks over here in the prayer closet during communion, go and confess it as a sin before you take communion. Get rid of it. And then slander, which is spreading false stories about people. It's a lot like lying except out loud in public to others. If you've been engaged in spreading false stories about people or disparaging them to others with your mouth, then you're guilty of slander. And you need to get rid of that. Tonight, you need to confess it before the Lord. Say, I'm sorry, I'm never going to do that again. It's one I want to pass on to you. I've been a Christian for over 40 years, and I need Jesus now more than I ever have. I need Him more now than I ever have. I'm in touch with my neediness so much more than I was when I was 18 and 19 years old. And my need for Jesus just keeps increasing. During this retreat that I spoke at, I told the guys about my difficulties in marriage. And I've spoken about that here at SCUM. I've been transparent with you, I've told you how hard it is, how hard it was for Mary and I for so many years. One of the things that period of our lives, which was not short, did for us was put us in touch with our need for Christ. And I was able to say, guys, let me tell you something. Jesus has met that need. I am more in love with my wife today than I ever have been in our whole entire marriage. I feel like I'm... Finally married to the girl that I dated, and it's wonderful. She's the best thing that ever happened to me. And then I said this, but you know what? I'm in touch with my need of God even more now than I was then when things were difficult because Jesus keeps bringing up new areas of my life where I need him. And being insecure about speaking to a group of guys my age is just one example. But where are the areas of life you need, Jesus? Is it in your marriage relationship? Are you where I was? Then look at it. This it sound weird. It's a gift from God. It allows you to be in touch with your neediness. Don't go into spiritual pride. Don't go into despair. Stay right there in the middle and realize your need of Christ. Maybe it's work. Maybe you just hate your job. And that puts you in touch with your need for God on a daily basis just to make it through those eight hours every day. It's not a bad thing. To know your need of Christ on a daily basis. Maybe it's relationships with your children or with your parents because things never go the way you want them to and you wish they would be better and so Jesus gives you an opportunity to crave spiritual milk daily. You need Him. Oh, you need Him every hour you need Him. Oh, blessed Savior, please come to me. And what happens as you need Jesus in every season of your life for as long as you're on this earth and even afterwards? Here's the promise. You grow up in your salvation. You become the person you were meant to be. You are transformed into the image of Jesus Christ through all of that neediness. Depending upon Jesus like Jesus depended upon his Father. That's what happens. Your salvation is not over the moment you accept Jesus Christ. In some ways, it just begins there, and it continues all through your life. This salvation is so great. Thank Jesus for what He's done to come to us in our neediness. If He we weren't needy, He wouldn't have had to come and die. That's what we celebrate when we take communion. Remember the sacrifice that met our need and for which we are always needy. Crave Jesus like pure spiritual milk. And again, if you have some business to do with God, putting away those terrible things that destroy your relationships, I urge you to come over here to the prayer cave and confess those things or confess them in your seat before you receive communion. And then thank God for what he's given us in Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Oh God, we thank you. We thank you for our neediness, our spiritual neediness. May we always be like little babies, needing you. May we never grow to the point where we say, nah, we can handle this on our own. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.